Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Yet another rail union says no to a tentative contract agreement. So the question remains, could we see a strike? Well, today on the show, one man who knows a whole lot about the industry. Former IAM president Tommy Buffenbarger will be joining us. Later in the show, we'll tell you about Solidarity Forever, the Amazon worker jigsaw puzzle. Welcome to the Tuesday, November 22nd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with uh, Tom Buffenbarger, longtime supporter of the show, former general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. And we're bringing him to the show today to talk, number one, about the possibility of a strike in the rail industry. Yesterday... Smart TD. Now, SMART is an acronym for the Sheet Metal Air Rail and Transit Division, TD Transit Division. They are one of the largest railroad labor unions. They voted down a tentative agreement with management. Now, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, the other big union, they voted to ratify the deal. However, they said they will honor the picket line if there is a strike. Comment here from Dennis Pierce, president of the BLET. We featured Dennis on the show back in uh, October, October 20th, and he talked a whole lot about this. He said, we stood shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters in SMART and others in rail labor throughout this process, and we will continue to stand in solidarity with them as we approach the finish line in this round of negotiations. So there's a tug of war going on right now, and the American Chemistry Council which represents companies including 3M, Dow, DuPont, BP, ExxonMobil, Eli Lilly, some big names there. They said a rail strike could impact approximately $2.8 billion in chemical cargo a week. Now, keep in mind, the rails carry 30 to 40% of our supplies on a daily basis. So this could be monumental. And I got a couple of dates here. They're talking about maybe December 5th for a strike, maybe December 9th. But there's going to be a lot of negotiations going on between now and the end of the year. And uh, the machinists, now they are one of the unions, I believe, that did ratify the agreement. There's 12 unions in rail, 12 of them, and they all have to be on the same page. So there's a lot at stake right now. Tom Buffenbarger knows a whole lot about the industry. He's going to be our first guest later in the show. Got a cool story for you. Solidarity Forever, the Amazon worker jigsaw puzzle is now out. And I got to thank the Nation magazine for releasing it. In fact, uh, this is their second ever jigsaw puzzle. And it features original artwork created by Josh Gosfeld. Josh is an award-winning illustrator. In fact, he's got an interesting background. He's been a farmer, a carpenter, a cartoonist, a managing editor, art director at New York Magazine for 10 years, illustrator 
for the New Yorker, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and others. He's a fine art painter and a photographer and co-author of The Art of Doing and co-founder of Future Me, which is a workshop for high school students to discover their vocational futures. Very interesting guy. And uh, we're going to talk about this jigsaw puzzle. And here's the cool thing about it. It sells for $29.99. Just Google Solidarity Forever Amazon Worker Jigsaw Puzzle. And 10% of the proceeds will go to support the Amazon Labor Union. Okay? In fact, this puzzle was inspired by the union's victory at the Staten Island Warehouse. Featuring calls to unionize, organize, and join hands, the puzzle highlights the unjust working conditions at Jeff Bezos' corporation and underscores the power of workers uniting. Labor creates all wealth, and the union's struggle against corporate greed is central to the nation's mission of speaking truth to the power to build a more just society. Got to keep in mind that the Nation magazine, probably one of the Longest-running magazine was founded by abolitionists in 1865, the year the Civil War ended. So cool stuff here. Solidarity Forever, Amazon Worker Jigsaw Puzzle, created by Josh Gosfield, who will be joining us later in the show. Now for a brief look into the world of labor, this segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Speaking of uh, Amazon, Last Friday, a a federal judge, Diane Gujarati of the Eastern District of New York, ruled that the company must cease and desist from retaliating against employees for union organizing. And she required Amazon to distribute and read the order to employees at the Staten Island warehouse that voted to unionize with the ALU in April of this year. However, the judge also denied the National Labor Relations Board's request for an injunction to reinstate Gerald Bryson, a key organizer who helped jumpstart the union's organizing effort at that terminal, JFK 8, the warehouse. Now, Bryson was a warehouse picker at Amazon who had been in unions at previous jobs. On March 30th of 2020, He led a protest against the lack of masks and other COVID-19 safety precautions at JFK 8. Bryson, along with Chris Smalls, president of the Amazon Labor Union, and Vice President Derek Palmer interrupted a manager's meeting to advocate for pandemic protections and let a worker walk out. Now, Bryson participated in two more demonstrations over pandemic safety before he was suspended and then terminated in April of this year. So Bryson was allegedly fired for, quote, bullying a co-worker during a protest, but the labor board argues that the co-worker began the dispute and used profanities, including telling Bryson to go back to the Bronx. Although Amazon does not have to rehire Bryson, the judge in this case said there was, quote, reasonable cause to believe that Amazon committed an unfair labor practice by discharging him. Separately, an agency judge ruled in April that Amazon must offer to reinstate Bryson, but Amazon is appealing that ruling. 
and Amazon failed to prove it had an honest, good-faith belief that Bryson engaged in serious misconduct, warranting a discharge. Got some more uh, organizing news here. More than 80% of resident assistants, RAs, at Tufts University are ready to form their union. United Labor of Tufts Resident Assistants, better known as ULTRA, with the Office and Professional Employees, Local 153. The RAs hand-delivered their letter and petition for voluntary recognition to the Office of the President. They cited the lack of wages and not having any meaningful say over their working conditions. The RAs joined many other academic workers across the country who have been organizing. So a good, uh, good job there. Meanwhile, registered nurses at the Ascension Via Christi St. Francis Hospital in Wichita, Kansas, have voted by a margin of 378 to 194 in favor of forming a union with National Nurses United. Actually, National Nurses Organizing Committee, which is an affiliate of National Nurses United. The secret ballot election was held last week. St. Francis is the largest hospital in Wichita and the first private sector hospital in the area where the RNs have actually formed a union. One of the RNs is Angela Camarn. She's an RN in the Cardiac Critical Care Unit at St. Francis, and she said this is a historic day for our nurses and our community. We are joining a strong community of nurses, union nurses in Kansas and across the country. As nurses, we are committed to providing excellent care to our patients. Our nurses have a track record of fighting for safer conditions so they can provide safe care to their communities, and we plan on doing the same here. And one more here before we break. Workers in Washington, D.C. are joining the nationwide wave of uh, union organizing, including workers at La Colombe, which is a coffee retailer. Last Wednesday, workers at La Colombe's Chinatown location announced their plans to form a union with the United Food and Commercial Workers. That would be Local 400 and that they intend to organize other stores as well. They will be joining workers at a bookstore, grocery stores, and cannabis dispensary. We have all recently organized with Local 400 in the Washington metro area. Good job there for UFCW Local 400. All right, quick break. When we come back, our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger, will be joining us. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. Check them out online at oft-aft.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants. 
telecommunications, CWA passenger services, public health care, and education workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at uaw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. Speaking of Twitter, got a up email yesterday from the AFL-CIO, and they pointed out all the disruptions going on with Twitter. Elon Musk, several weeks ago, purchased the company for $44 billion. And since that happened, at least half the people have either left or have been fired. And there's some discussion among uh, creditors that they may file for bankruptcy. $44 billion and the company has fallen apart. So the AFL-CIO says, well, there's other alternatives there. Check out Instagram, TikTok, Reddit, or Mastodon. So a little word of advice here from the AFL-CIO. Let's go to uh, line number one right now and join one of our long-term supporters. That would be Tommy Buffenbarger former general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, likes the show so much that he has continued on as our independent labor voice. And the big news today is, are we going to see a railroad strike next month? Tommy Buffenbarger, how are we doing today, my brother? We're doing great today, Flash. And uh, what a story to talk about this morning, because your question, are we going to see a strike or not? That's got everybody almost in, across this country who builds anything, makes anything, distills anything, uh, very concerned as we roll into the holiday season. Yeah, we're talking uh, 30 to 40 percent of the products that we get on a daily basis come through rail. And the news is this, one of the largest railroad labor unions, Smart TD, voted down a tentative agreement with rail management yesterday and that raises the likelihood of a strike now the other big union the brotherhood of locomotive engineers and trainmen voted to ratify the deal but they said if smart walks out they're going to honor the picket line now this is a little more complicated i mean (laughs) there's rules and regulations with the federal government and, and tommy i know as uh, head of the machinists, the machinist union represented one of those unions. Now, the machinist union, they ratified this deal. Am I correct in saying that? That is correct, Flash. Uh, they ratified it uh, the second time around. So the machinist union is in the same position as all the other unions that have ratified. They will honor the picket lines of any union that's on a legitimate strike. And right now, SMART uh, is in position. The railway signalmen are in a position. They've uh, turned down the agreement. They can strike whatever our brothers and sisters do. Uh, the IAM 
as well as the other rail unions, they stick together pretty tightly. They will uh, they will honor those decisions and honor picket lines. Now, Tom, there's this tentative agreement, and, and I, I I remember talking a whole lot about that That's several months ago, and I believe it was in September where President Biden called in Marty Walsh, got all the parties together, they reached a tentative agreement. But from what I've been gathering they didn't cover the main issue. They, they got raises. They got raises. They increased their pay. But uh, the, the, the issue of concern is uh, taking some time off. And when they take time off, I guess there's a certain point where they get docked if they take more than what's allocated. Can you speak to that? Because uh, ever since the pandemic, and we have to keep in mind, the rail industry lost a lot of workers. So the stress level in running those trains is at an all-time high. And I know you can speak to that. Can you give us some uh, examples sure. of what's Fl- going on here? Flash, this issue uh, over the uh, discipline uh, of rail workers for taking time off. And let me tell you, this I mean, this is they're deathly sick. They, they don't get to just willy-nilly say, I'm calling in sick today without paying some sort of a penalty for it. This has been a a problem that has been brewing and growing over many years now. How the rail industry keeps fiddling with an absentee policy, and it's always to the detriment and the harm of the employees. And it really became exacerbated when the pandemic hit. Immediately, immediately, railroad workers, among other uh skills out there were declared emergency personnel, all given special letters from the government. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just in case an area was locked down, a railroad worker could be out driving around as long as he's going to work. The, The police could not stop you. Nobody could hold you. It was like the proverbial get out of jail free card. That's how important rail workers are. That's how they're perceived. And in fact, they are, they are needed personnel. They are those kind of people that keep this country going. They were moving all the the uh, food, all the medical supplies. They, they move everything in America. And yet, despite all this, they're declared emergency personnel, necessary employees. If they got sick with COVID and they took off more than whatever the contract provided for at the moment for a sick day, they actually got penalized and punished and disciplined for being sick. I'm not making this up. And the railroads would not provide the necessary safety precautions for the workers. They get, One railroad in particular, I love this story. It's headquartered in another. It's headquartered in Canada, and the uh, wives of the executives of this rail company and other employees, management employees, got together and they made cloth masks for the rail employees and sent them each one cloth mask, and that was it for any safety precaution. Each rail yard uh, shop a maintenance shop where the IAM has representatives, employees, members. 
they got a, a gallon of bleach for the whole shop to serve as their sanitizing agent. That's it. And so we had members getting sick with COVID, some even dying, and yet the rail industry and its management could not find a way to provide for the health and the safety of these employees. And in fact, started laying off employees because the bottom line during the pandemic was all that mattered. These railroads, Flash, made billions of dollars in profit even during the pandemic. And all the while, unfairly disciplining and wreaking a lot of pain on the employees that made that possible. So being in negotiations, trying to get a fair share of the wealth we were creating for this industry, we end up to where we are today. And the big problem they're trying to fix is the issue of fairness to the employees. The fairness that if they get sick, they're they're looked after, that they have the benefits and they have the time to recover and get better. You know, we don't have human sacrifices in American industry, and that's the way the railroads were looking at this. If you're a worker in the industry, you're dispensable. We don't care what the reason is. It has come to this point in time where this issue has risen to the top, It's been a long time coming, and I understand where these employees and these union members are at, and, uh, you know, God bless them for standing their ground. Now, having said that, what I do worry about, Flash, is last week, or maybe two weeks ago now, time's flown here, and we still haven't resolved all the election issues, but the control of the House of Representatives is going to flip. Mm-hmm. And in rail negotiations, like in airline negotiations, it's the same law, the same labor law, the Railway Labor Act, that covers transportation. At the end of the day, when the parties can't find a solution to their differences, Congress retains the ability to weigh in and legislate a settlement. I uh, I felt a lot better about that possibility happening when knowing that Nancy Pelosi would be this is Speaker of the House. The House was in Democrat hands. The workers tend to get a much better break yep. and get some understanding. But now that's all going to change. So I don't know what happens now. It's a real crapshoot about what kind of discussion moves on. And I do know this because the Republicans have already signaled it, that if they, Mitch McConnell made it clear, if this issue comes before Congress, it will be a concessionary agreement, meaning that the workers who haven't ratified are at risk. And uh, that's where we've got to make our stand in our fight, and we have to be very prudent and careful with timing of issues to see if we can make this work out for the rail industry. Now, 
what uh, Smart is doing, most contracts, and but I don't know this time, Flash, because I'm not there. In the past, all the unions, even if they ratified, would have what they call the Me Too clause, meaning if another organization got a, a extra bump or improvement here or there, it applied to everybody else. I don't know if uh, that exists this time, and it's simply because I don't know. But um, the SMART is is standing up for the big the biggest issue I'm aware of in the rail industry, and that is fair treatment of workers, the ability to to take time off when they're sick, the ability to see their family once in a while and just maybe attend a kid's sports game or a recital somewhere. See, what the listeners may not understand, the members get fired for doing what everybody else can do in America. There's something wrong in this industry. And maybe if they would take some of their billions and hire a few more workers and treat them fairly, we could spread this out and assure the railroads continue to run on time, make money, and treat their workers fairly. Um, it's it's a very, uh, a very cautious time for the members in this industry, and uh, I can totally understand where they're coming from. It's a huge degree of frustration. A lot of anger has built up. This is their opportunity to address it. And we need people on the other side in management to listen to them and find that common ground. Tom, there were 45,000 people that kind of disappeared during the pandemic in the rail industry. And uh, the industry only hired about 10% back, about 4,000. And I want to call attention to a show that we did on October 20th on America's Workforce with Dennis Pierce. Dennis is the president of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen. And uh, he was telling us that one individual uh, needed to get a doctor's checkup because he was having some, like, heart palpitations. And he neglected to get that physical because of the policy. Of the railroads because of the policy. He said, man, if I take time off to go to the doctor, I'm going to get docked. He died of a heart attack. He died of a heart attack weeks later. So the policy of the rail is killing the members of the railroad. And that's exactly why they're talking about a strike. Now, I, I, I'm hoping, Tom, you, you mentioned the new Congress here. We still have the old Congress. I mean, it's only November. And what I'm looking at here, there, there's a possibility of a strike as soon as December 5th or maybe December 9th. So, Tom, I'm hoping they can come to some agreement before the end of the year on this because I hate to see these workers have a contract that's imposed upon them, something that they don't want, something that's killing them. You follow me on this? Oh, Flash, absolutely. And here is the problem we have. There are only so many legislative days they have before the Christmas and the holiday break. So there's a limited number of days to have this Congress address it. And my fear is Congress putting them under a new cooling-off period 
creating, because Congress has the power to do that. That's why it's important to pay attention to politics. They could create the avenues to delay this decision till after, you know, what, January 3rd, that's when the face of government changes. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're marching down with few days left to do anything to the end of this. And uh, it's critical for the unions and their allies in Congress to pay attention and work on timing a resolution to this situation to avoid having Kevin McCarthy and the Jim Jordans and the Marjorie Taylor Greene types decide, screw those union workers. Yep, that's exactly what they're going to do. Tom Buffenbarger, our independent labor voice, joining us on our live line today. Later in the show, we're going to tell you about Solidarity Forever, the Amazon worker jigsaw puzzle. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. So please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, always connecting people with employment. Good employment, I might add. ULAgency.org. Let's go back to our live line, rejoin our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger. Talked a lot about the uh, rail industry. Tom, I'm sure you were following this strike by uh, warehouser workers in uh, Oregon and Washington, all members of the Machinist Union. They did vote in favor of a, a new contract, but it took a 48-day-long strike, which cost the company over 50 
million. I mean, very profitable. The lumber industry, especially during the pandemic, everybody was remodeling their homes. Price of lumber soared. They're making a whole lot of money. Did that money go over to the workers? Eh, not really. But, Tom, explain the logic, if there is any, for a strike to go on that long and cost the company $50 million. What, what part of that makes any sense? It doesn't, none of it. And uh, Weyerhaeuser's a company I am very intimately familiar with. Um, we, the machinists have always represented some Weyerhaeuser locations across the country. Uh, but when the Woodworkers Union merged with the Machinists Union, and that brought huge numbers of all kinds of timber industry, lumber industry, uh, workers into our union, um, I developed a very close relationship with all those folks. And so with Weyerhaeuser, I can remember uh, being in uh, opening up national negotiations and stuff. And back in those days, Flash, the Weyerhaeuser brothers ran the company and had for a long time. And uh, you were dealing with the owners and issues that yeah there have been strikes but it was like 50 years ago mm-hmm. or so uh, where and they didn't last long you could get to a settlement when you were dealing with people who were deeply rooted in the care and the processing of timber in the US then probably our finest days with the company was when a, a an Ohio boy, a guy named Jack Creighton, became the first non-Warehouser family member to be the CEO of the company. He got it, and he worked very closely creating the type of relationships where he knew almost every employee. He visited the work sites. He saw where there were deficiencies, and he fixed them. And he tried to bring along a whole team of management that understood this is a partnership. Our job is to grow, plant a product, grow a product, and get that product harvested and, and the results sold to people who need it. And... We made great strides with Weyerhaeuser. Then something happened. Jack Creighton retired, and the company changed, and it 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 became a, a real estate investment trust company, and it minimized the direction and the influence of the Weyerhaeusers and the Creightons from that point on. So now, what they're dealing with at Weyerhaeuser is a cold corporate structure. It's all about bottom line, and what we say is what you're going to do. They kind of adhere to the Jack Welch, uh, you know, former GE chairman philosophy is, you know, we, we can get other people to do your work or we'll move it to where we don't have to deal with a union. And so our members took a stand against that. That company has been making a lot of money, as you pointed out. The timber industry has been doing well. And it was time to make up for the lean years. And that's what those members 
went out to do. And uh, they got a contract they were satisfied with and ratified. How you justify it, how stockholders can sit back and allow the management of a company to incur these kind of losses without there being repercussions on their side amazes me. And I would almost think the stockholders in this case, the public stockholders of warehouse, are derelict in their duty to uh, see that these workers are treated fairly and that the company continues to make money. There's a real problem there. And um, so I salute the warehouser members and for standing strong. And uh, my hope is that moving into the future, this company wakes up once again. Uh, there was a day when warehouser kind of led in labor relations in the timber industry, and they need to get back to doing that. Well, a lot of companies do. I'm reading, too, that strike costs $50 million in earnings just on the logging side of its operation. That doesn't count the mills. But the CEO, the CEO who goes by the name of Devin Stockfish, he said uh, the loss is due to softening in pricing for lumber. So he put, that's his spin on the whole thing. He's got, the, the workers had nothing to do with this. Nothing yeah, well, you know this. what? Maybe there are people that believe that. I mean, look at where we're at on Wall Street. We got billionaires today that you get to observe in the public eye, and you wonder how the hell did they ever make it? And uh, this is the kind of blind management systems we have out there now. They don't recognize the value of their most important asset, which isn't the tree. It's the employee, the worker. It's, yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe one of these days Elon Musk will understand that. <laughs> oh, oh well, listen, my fear is Elon Musk might want to buy a timber company. I, I don't want to see that happen. <laughs> I hear you, buddy. Hey, a couple minutes left in this show, and I know you always pay attention to politics, and uh, you, you kind of referenced this in the first segment when we were talking about the the rail industry and a possible strike there. Um, how are you uh, viewing the future here, especially with the Republicans in control of the House? You know they're not friendly to labor, and I'm just wondering, are they going to start all these investigations and, and, and really kind of be a, a big distraction to what voters want? Voters want policy. Voters want policy. They want jobs. I'm, I'm just wondering how you, how you see this moving forward here, Tom. My fear is this, Flash, is that for the next two years, we have a do-nothing Congress, a divided Congress with the kind of players we have. Uh, being given um, visible policy-making positions, and that's what Kevin McCarthy, the uh, pending uh, Speaker of the House, has indicated. You'll have Jim Jordan, who doesn't have an original idea to do anything positive for people in his own state, let alone the country. He wants to do investigations. You have Marjorie Taylor Greene, who wants to kick people off committees and get her revenge. You have a whole slew of uh, congressmen. And when I say a slew, I should be fair. It's a handful, but they're going to end up as committee chairs and at the head of uh, important legislation-making committees, and they're going to do nothing. They're going to focus on the same 
stuff that we had before, and it's the people of the country who suffer. I want to know what's going to happen. We've got this infrastructure stuff coming down the pike. What are the big projects, the generational projects we're going to be working on that will provide and underpin the good jobs in this country? What are we going to do about the the transportation crisis? We don't have uh, the capacity in our airports to to make things reliable that we once knew. We need to improve housing availability for workers across this country. We need to do something about inflation so people can afford the food they eat. Um, we need to continue the quest for ever-improving health care and its delivery across the country. And then when it comes to the new ideas, where this country was supreme globally for bringing new ideas to the fore, we need to get back to that because right now um, everything is geared toward, you know, Smoke and mirrors. We need concrete stuff. If the auto industry is going to dramatically change, which it is, um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for new types of jobs. With that comes new types of training. With that comes new types of ideas that can be brought to the consumer. And those are the things Americans want to hear about. And yet our leaders in Congress have the time flesh to and and it's everybody to focus on minutiae and little stuff the people deserve to see that this country and its government can take on big ideas again like fdr or jfk or lbj and deliver on those Tom Buffenberger, former general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, now our independent labor voice and will remain our independent labor voice, telling it like it is. Well, I really appreciate your thoughts, your comments, especially your insight on the rail industry. We'll hope for the best, and and maybe they can come up with some kind of a settlement, at least before the end of the year. Tommy Buffenberger, our independent labor voice, former general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. I appreciate your insight into what may happen, and let's hope and pray that they can get something resolved here before the end of the year on that uh, rail industry situation. Okay, my brother? You got it, Flash. Best to you and all your listeners. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back... We're going to link up with Josh Gosfield. Josh put together Solidarity Forever, the Amazon Worker Jigsaw Puzzle. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. 
You're listening to America's Workforce, and this next segment brought to you by the North Coast Labor Federation. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. And remember this. If you like a show, share that show. We count all the uh, downloads, and certainly our sponsors like that. We like to grow the show, and you can help us do that. AWFpodcast.com. Everything is archived there. All right, let's go to New York City right now. And welcome to the show, Josh Gosfield. Now, this guy is a little bit of everything. He's a farmer, a carpenter, a cartoonist, a managing editor, and an art director. Worked for the uh, New Yorker magazine, New York magazine, I should say, for 10 years. And he's an illustrator for the New Yorker, the New York Times, Time and others. He's also a fine art painter and a photographer. And today he's going to talk about the Amazon worker jigsaw puzzle. Josh, you are a man of many talents. Thanks for joining us here on America's Workforce. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning, Ed. So um, I, I guess you just couldn't hone in on one thing. You had to be a little bit of everything, but they all, I mean, it's all similar. You're very creative. Um, how long, what, what made you de- decide to uh, get into this line of work? Let's start right there. Well, being an illustrator, you know, it's funny. My mom raised all her kids to be artists and musicians. My three siblings are all musicians, but my first 10 years, I sort of wanted to be the working class hero. So I lived on farms and I was a carpenter and ended up renovating houses. But at some point, that voice from my mom was like, you got to go do something artistic came in. But, you know, I also came from a very political family. So something like doing this Solidarity Forever Amazon workers puzzle, that, that stuff just super resonates with me because I was raised. You know, my mom was always a big organizer, you know, so that was just like such an incredibly exciting project where I get to apply myself to an art thing. I'd never done a jigsaw puzzle before, so that was exciting and kind of scary for me. But also I know that, uh, you know, the profits for this thing are going to go to the Amazon Labor Union, and I also get to depict, uh, you know, the struggle of the Amazon workers to unionize. And this is all as a result of what happened in Staten Island, which was a a 55% vote in favor of the union. So that, that was kind of a kind of what catapulted you to, to do this then? Well, to be perfectly honest, you know, I was working for the nation was looking for somebody to do it. And I was lucky that they chose me. But the idea for the puzzle came from them, and I just immediately said, yes, i, I got to do this thing. Now, Josh, did you ever put a jigsaw puzzle together before this? 
No. And, you know, Ed, it's funny. One of the things I absolutely love to do, which you could tell from my the list of all the careers I've done, even as an illustrator and as a fine artist, one of the great pleasures for me is doing the thing I've never done before. So doing a jigsaw puzzle was really interesting to figure out, like, well, how can I make it hard but not too hard? And how can uh-huh. I make it possible to do but not too easy to do? So uh, you, you got to help me out on this one here. How do you how do you make a jigsaw puzzle? I mean, is there, there's certain you know air you know certain kind of forms that obviously fit into one another, and you never did this before. This had to be kind of a learning experience for you as well. But can you share a few things with our listeners on how this was all put together? You bet. I mean, first of all, the cutting of the jigsaw puzzle. I have no idea how the pieces are being cut. I just know what the size is. So my main focus, Ed, is really like, what's the content of the puzzle? And it being, uh, you know, a pro-labor puzzle, my biggest focus is, you know, what image am I going to put on this thing that's going to persuade people? And the first thing that came to me, or the first good idea that came to me was, I thought of those Egyptian hieroglyphics. I thought of uh, that Egyptian art that you see where, there's a pharaoh and there's lots of workers. And I thought, well, Bezos is kind of that huddled pharaoh. You know, he's got his monument. He's got his uh, blue origin rocket ship. He's got his piles of money. And you have all the Amazon workers. But what I didn't want to do with them is make them look like drones. So every single Amazon worker on there is uh, they're kind of trying to depose the pharaoh. They're knocking him over in his big golden throne. And each one of them has their own particular hairstyle, their own particular way of dressing. And it's funny, the puzzle even influenced me because I sort of realized, like, you know, we do kind of take Amazon workers for granted, I think, many of us. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, they're there just to deliver our package. And even in looking at the puzzle for me, realized, like, there's this here's a package that ends up on your door, the thing you ordered yesterday. And you don't realize that, you know, the people in the warehouse, the people on the planes, the people on the trucks, the people on the bikes, the people who are carrying the packages. And I've been going around photographing a bunch of them holding the jigsaw puzzle. And they're just like the nicest, most open people. So, Josh, uh, you did again. You don't. You don't put the cuts together. Somebody else does the cuts. Is is that what Thank I? Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good. Good for you. You just do the illustration. Now, uh, how long did it take you to, to do the illustration? What was the time period? That's for a good that? question. It probably took me. You know, a lot of times when I do a piece of art, I, I don't burn through it in you know eight straight hours or twelve straight hours because you need time to sort of working on and reflect. So it probably took me about four days of consistent effort. You know, I always do a lot of studying of my source material. So there was a lot of uh, understanding how that Egyptian work that you would see on the, you know, within the pyramids of all the workers and the pharaoh sitting there so pretty, how they were put together. All right. I'm reading it's uh, 500 pieces. Now, when you did the illustration, they, they carved it all up to the 500 pieces. Did they send it back to you and they said, okay, go to it, Josh, put it together? Did, did you have to do that first? No, no, thank God. All of that is outsourced. You know, I'm just, uh, 
I, I'm just the artist. I'm just a dumb artist guy. I'm not uh, <laughs> asked to do any of the jigsaw puzzle mechanics. I gotcha. So the name of the puzzle, again, we're speaking with uh, Josh Gosfeld, who put together Solidarity Forever, the Amazon Worker Jigsaw Puzzle. Josh, I see it's selling for $29.99, recommended age 12-plus years, 500 pieces. Finished puzzle size is 18 by 24. Linen-style finish to reduce glare. And it's, of course, made in the USA. <laughs> and the illustrator is on our live line right now. And did I hear correctly? What is it? 10% of the profits of this puzzle will go to the Amazon yeah, Labor Union? I think 10% of the proceeds go to the Amazon Labor Union. And that made me really proud to do this thing, that uh, the profits are going to go. You're not just doing a piece of art to support the Amazon Labor Union, but the proceeds from that art are going to go to them. Now, have you heard from the Amazon Labor Union, especially Chris Smalls, the guy that, that, that started that union? Has he reacted to this at all? I know the people in the nation have been speaking to him. I've been going around and showing it to a lot of Amazon workers, and all of them are like, oh, my God, i got to get – and I've been giving the puzzle to them. They're so excited about it. So – I've, I haven't met the guys at the top, but I've met I've met a lot of the workers. Well, Josh, uh, keep your uh, keep your pen and uh, crayons or whatever you use to do these things handy, because I got a feeling other unions might be knocking on your door here. No, nobody else has has said anything. I, I guess it's kind of premature at this stage, but hey, you never know what's going to happen down the road, buddy. Hey, listen, I love that shout out because if there's anybody out there who needs some progressive or labor oriented artwork, that's where my heart is more than any place else. If I can combine good politics and art, that's the ultimate. There you go. Again, all you do is uh, Google Solidarity Forever Amazon Worker Jigsaw Puzzle. I mean, if you just do Amazon Worker Jigsaw Puzzle, it should take you right there again for $30. 10% of those proceeds will be going to the Amazon Labor Union. Solidarity forever. That's what it's all about. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, keep in touch. If uh, other unions uh, knock on your door, let us know. Okay, buddy? You bet. You'll be the first one to know. Thanks a lot, Ed. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the Heat and Frost Insulators and the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Until then, all of you. Have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.